If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at WDWS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning once again, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Coming to you this morning from Ross Age Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. Mr. Tate on hand. We got up before sunrise and made the quick 90-minute uh, drive over to Purdue for this ball game this afternoon, which kicks off at 2.40 Central Time. 340 uh, Eastern time. You okay, Mr. You awake now, Mr. Tate? I'm awake. I'm as awake as I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a couple of hours of sports talk here. We've got uh, four guests lined up for you. The phone lines are open as well. Coming up in about 10 or 15 minutes, Mike Pearson, Illinois athletics historian, former SID, will join us to talk Illinois football, specifically about this longtime series, which, interestingly enough, this will be the 97th meeting, and in the previous 96 games, they've decided nothing. Yep, it's all tied either. up. Yep. 45, 45, and 6. So we'll talk about this series. At 9.30, we'll talk some Illinois basketball. Brad Sturdy from IlliniGuys.com will join us. At 10 o'clock, Tom Deanhart. He is the Rivals reporter for Purdue football. Used to be with the uh, Big Ten Network, and we'll talk about this game more specifically with him. And then at 10.30, we'll talk some baseball with Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis. That leads us into the baseball scores. Cardinals played a doubleheader with the Cubs and won 8-5 and 12-4 at Wrigley Field. So 14 straight wins now, Mr. Tate, for the Cardinals. And uh, you're into generational type of uh, winning streaks here. Those don't happen too often. The last time the Cardinals won 14 in a row is... 1935, when you were a young lad of four. I was a young lad of four, and the Cubs, that same year, if we, if we got this right, won 21 straight that year. They did. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of win streaks that year. Both those teams must have been pretty good. Well, the Cubs won 100 games. I'm not sure how many of the Cardinals ended up winning that year, but they put up 20 runs, hit five home runs, or rather eight home runs in that uh, doubleheader yesterday at Wrigley Field. The wind was blowing out, yeah. The Cubs hit some wrong home runs too, but uh, the 14-game streak is just, especially this time of year, is something you don't see very often. No, it's it's uncanny what's going on, particularly when Newt Bart is hitting two home runs and, and you know, uh, and DeYoung comes off the bench, uh, and basically comes off the bench and hits a home run. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and the, the play of the three guys in the two, three, four spots with, with three guys having 30 home runs at least each, 
And I, I, I was, I asked you a question that I wonder, do you suppose there's ever been a batter in the major leagues to hit, uh, have a hundred runs batted in batting second in the order as Goldschmidt is? I like, suppose it has happened, but we couldn't think of we couldn't think well, of it as nobody, we, no big hitter ever batted second, right? In the old days, in 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 in, in past history, the the best hitters, the Musials, all batted third. You know, Billy Williams batted third. I mean, that's where you bat. That's where you hit your best hitter, and that's where you. Uh, and then you'd have your home run guy batting fourth. Willie McKay, Willie Mays, and Willie McCovey batted third and fourth. Oh yeah, you never saw those guys batting second. Right. No way. Aaron never batted second. Right. But um, it's, this is just the idea. I think it's it's the new era of, of get the guy up there as many times as possible. You'd hate to see a game end with Aaron, you know, the next hitter because he was batting fourth. When if he was batting second, he would have already gotten up in the ninth inning. Yep. Cubs and Cardinals go again this afternoon at Wrigley Field. John Lester returns to Wrigley Field to pitch against the Cubs in that game today. And if you're wondering, the longest winning streak in Major League Baseball history is 26. The New York Giants in 1916 uh, did that, and they did it uh, during the month of September themselves. Their their first uh, opponent in that uh, streak was the Brooklyn Robins. The Brooklyn Robins. (laughs) And the Boston Braves broke up that streak back then. The uh, most recent um, long winning streak came in 2017. Cleveland Indians winning 22 straight games. You're sure that was the Boston Braves and not the Boston Bees? It says Boston Braves okay. on, on the okay. information I'm looking at. Okay. I just rem- I just, I just didn't know they were always the Braves. The Cubs uh, in that 1935, as we mentioned, won 21 straight. And uh, their first win in that streak was against the Phillies, and the Cardinals broke it up. Hmm. And they ended it. Uh, so some uh, ways to go yet if the Cardinals are going to look a- at all-time winning streaks, and you, and more so than, than ever, you just play them one game at a time, and that's what they're doing today. But their magic number now to clinch the uh, wild card spot is down to four. They've gone from like one or two percent chance in, in a little more than a month, and now their chance is like, like 98-something, mm-hmm. nearly 99 percent. The White Sox won a game uh, last night over the uh, Indians by a score we we still call them the Indians, or we're just going to call them Cleveland, uh, Cleveland. Guardians, or whatever they're going to be. <laughs> One nothing was the uh, final there. A lot of high school football scores. We'll get you uh, in touch with those scores as we move along. The Ryder Cup is underway up at uh, Whistling Straits, and uh, a good day yesterday for the U.S. They took a six-two lead, so they won six out of eight matches on the first day. Boy, those are really narrow fairways, aren't they? They are. And there's a lot of trouble on both sides. There's a, there's a big old lake right there, yeah. too, that uh, one guy hit a ball in. But really, the Lake Only Michigan doesn't come really into play. Yeah. But uh, Tommy Fleetwood hooked one in there. He really hooked it, didn't he? <laughs> he did. And uh, that's exciting. And the, the format today is the same as yesterday. The matchups are a little bit different. And then tomorrow, there are all singles matches. But uh, the U.S. off to a good start with... Uh, Captain America, Steve Stricker, yep. leading the way. Did you watch any of the opening ceremonies of that? I did not. I did not see the opening ceremony. I think I texted you and uh, and Joe Thompson uh, about how long it would take Strick to start crying. It didn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> it 
when he when he started talking about uh, his wife who was seated behind him and his two daughters who were seated out in fr- front in the audience, he kind of lost it there. But uh, can you imagine how emotional he might be if they go on to win this? Well, yeah, and he's the coach. He's, he's a softy. He, he's the guy. He's a very emotional guy, and it's a great thing. And I was playing golf yesterday on the Orange Course at Savoy and talking with one of the guys I played for. And I said, how neat is this to have the Ryder Cup captain – be a guy that has played this course you know hundreds of times and played the same course that we're playing it's just a cool thing and he's still connected yes he really is he's connected very close with mike small so it's illinois and purdue this afternoon here at uh, 240 other games in the big 10 of note of the uh, nebraska michigan state game might be of interest that game comes up tonight of course the uh, wisconsin notre dame game that game being played at soldier field at 11 how are you picking that I asked you that before. I pick almost anybody that plays Notre Dame, but I don't know that I do it. I I think Notre Dame will win that. I'd like to see Wisconsin win it, but I think it'll be. Wisconsin needs to open it up a little bit offensively. Defensively, they'll be fine, but Notre Dame will will definitely open it up, and and that's the difference in those two teams. Rutgers plays at Michigan in a Big Ten uh, conference game. Indiana plays later tonight against Western Kentucky. We'll talk more about uh, those matchups. Illinois volleyball tonight. It's Stuff the Huff. Yeah, they're nine and three on the season, off to a one and zero start in the Big Ten, and they play Northwestern tonight in that uh, Stuff the Huff match. So they're off to a pretty good start. Yeah, well, yeah, they they it took five sets to beat uh, yeah, Iowa, did. but they won decisively in that f- fifth set, and. Uh, I'm not sure how, how this team's going to be. It's going to be competitive, whether they can get in that top four or five in the Big Ten. That's, that'll be the goal. Boy, what a beautiful day for a college football game uh, late in the month of September. And we're hearing that David Bell, the outstanding receiver for Purdue, uh, will be cleared to play today. Yeah. yeah he went through the uh, concussion protocol this week. He really got hammered last week in that game in Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think we're still uncertain, but he has been cleared. I mean, I... He hasn't, I, apparently, I shouldn't say this, but I don't think he's practiced. No, I don't but, think so either. Uh, but the point was made real early this week, he doesn't have to practice to play. <laughs> well, a lot of those guys are When like you're that, that good, you just go out and catch passes. He's the second leading receiver in the Big Ten, and uh, certainly a guy that uh, you got to keep an eye on when you watch this ball game. If, uh, if Illinois is going to win, they got to find a way to stop the Purdue passing game, which is putting up, what, 326 yards a game. Well, Illinois has given up uh, 321, and yeah. they're, then they're making 326. What's that tell you? I tell you, so something's got to give <laughs> or something's got to go, one or the other, whether it's the uh, Illinois pass defense or the uh, Purdue passing game. And Illinois is, coincidentally, that 321 is last in the Big Ten. Yeah. And uh, they're last yeah. in the Big Ten in total offense, too. But they showed some signs, I thought, last week in the uh, Maryland game, a game that uh, was there for the taking, I thought. Well, yeah, they had it for 55 minutes. Uh, but the thing uh, that I was, of, of interest to me was the football game played yesterday. Wake Forest hammered Virginia, which Virginia had lost the previous week to North Carolina. So the team that we thought that really dominated Illinois, that we thought was really good, they've lost two games since then, and neither one was real close. Yeah, wasn't that long ago we thought, hey, you know, this Virginia team might be okay. And yeah, then- Armstrong was passing the ball over the place, and, Boy, Wake Forest, I think that score was 37-17. I mean, Wake Forest dominated that game yesterday. Purdue comes into the ballgame 2-1. and one. This is their Big Ten opener. Two years ago, 
here. It rained like cats and dogs all day, and Illinois came out with a win. Purdue returned uh, the favor last year in Champaign-Urbana to even this series back up. A lot of history to this. They started playing back in 1890. We're going to talk about uh, some of the history of this long-time series, the game which, of course, is now played for the uh, Cannon Trophy, uh, commonly known as the Purdue Cannon. The Boilermakers have it right now. Mike Pearson will join us after we take our first time out. We'll have the phone lines open. If you have any memories of the Illinois-Purdue football series, feel free to jump in. And we'll be back on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Moving up on 9-15. Welcome back, everybody, to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Ed Bond is with us. We're in the press box at Ross-Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana, for this afternoon's ball game, Purdue and the Purdue Boilermakers. And joining us on the telephone, a longtime friend and colleague, Mike Pearson, former Illinois Sports Information Director, and I like to call him an Illinois and Michigan State historian. But we're concentrating on Illinois this morning. Michael, how are you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. This series goes all the way back to 1890, and even Lauren Tate was not there then. But uh, he's what? seen many of them. <laughs> I thought, but I thought, sure, you saw that first season. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, that, that that very first Purdue game was the second game ever for the Illini. <laughs> well, I want you to talk about the 43 game because I kind of remember that period when Alex Agassi and, and other Illini uh, wound up at Purdue because of the war. Tell us about that uh, that game. It was a forty-one. Was it forty-one to twenty win for um, for uh, Purdue? Right. Uh, so, so you of course we're in the middle of World War II at this uh, juncture, and and the and the V twelve Navy College training program was designed to supplement the force of uh, officers in the Navy uh, during World War II. So, uh, you know. Uh, Kids at that point were being sent all over the place. Uh, the purpose of the, the V-12 was to generate, you know, this large number of officers. And uh, Illinois uh, was set to have a pretty good season in 1943. You know, Tony Butkovich uh, was was a star running back. Alex Agassi, uh, who were the stars for the 42 Illini, and they went off. Uh, into the Marine Corps, and uh, so these fuzzy-faced 17- and 18-year-olds were making up some of the teams, including Illinois at that point. Michigan, for example, inherited uh, Elroy Hirsch of Wisconsin uh, because of the program. Crazy legs. Yeah, crazy legs Hirsch. So so the 43 team, uh, Ray Elliott lost 25 players to uh, military induction between the start of fall practice and late October. He was so desperate for players that, you know, he was plucking them off the, off the street and, and he ran a very simple offense, you know, because these kids didn't, you know, were, were thrown into action so quickly, but the toughest game the, the Illini played all year in 43 was against Purdue. And they won the game, uh, Purdue won the game, 40-21, as you said. 61 points total. 50 were put uh, up by either uh, current or former Illini players that day. And, and Tony Butkovich probably 
played the greatest game of his college career. He ran for 207 on only 12 carries, 80-yard uh, uh, touchdown in between uh, Agassi, uh, Frank Bauman, Mike Kasep. You know, there were a whole bunch of players. And I remember talking to Ray, you know, back in the day, back in the 70s, uh, about that game. He said many of the Purdue players during the game came to the Illini sideline and stayed on the Illini sideline so that they could catch up with their old teammates. And and Ray had to, Ray had to hustle them back over across the field, you know, because they're still, the game's still in progress. So, so that was one of the more unusual games. Go ahead, Lauren. Well, no, I was just going to ask, do you recall who else scored uh, other than Butkovich in that game? Who scored for the Illini? Do you remember? Uh, I, I don't know the details of that, but, but, uh, it it probably would have been, um, what was his name? Eddie, uh, Eddie Bray, Eddie Bray, Eddie Bray is, is one of the guys. He, he, he turned out to be one of the stars during that, during that 43. What do you think Uh, he weighed? Did he weigh over 160? From what, from what what I understand. Yeah. He was in the 150 range. As, as I said earlier, Ray was was taking anybody who could breathe at that point, uh, anybody who had a sense of what football was, and so uh, you know he he was in a real predicament. You know, of course, uh, you know Alex Agassi is probably the more famous uh, of the participants in that game. And well, let me ask you this question, Lauren: Would Alex was Alex Agassi ever? seriously considered for uh, the Illinois job? I think so. I think so, but I think the timing was never right. He was either at Northwestern or later on at yep. Purdue. I don't I don't think that right. uh, it, it was – the timing just wasn't right for him to come here. I know Studley right. was considered uh, more seriously than uh, than Agassiz in that period after, uh, after Ray. That, that's what you're talking mm-hmm. about, basically – uh, Ray coached right. all the way to 1959, and then Pete Elliott came in in 1960. I would imagine that uh, there was some consideration around that time, but Pete Elliott was uh, was really a an, an automatic choice when he when he became interested. I think. Well, you know, Pete Pete and Bump Elliott were part of that B12 program too. You yeah, know, uh, yeah. Pete, you know who you know who played for the '43 Purdue team was Bump Elliott. Bump Elliott was a freshman on that. Purdue uh, 43 team. He eventually, then they went into military service, uh, and and uh, a Bump ended up with Brother Pete at Michigan and ended up his career there. So there, there may be a little known fact. On this, you know, on this subject, uh, Ray once told me that Buddy Young had to be re-recruited after he had been at Illinois and and when he came back from service because everybody was trying to get Buddy Young to play for him. And uh, Ray re-recruited him, kind of like, uh, kind of like... Uh, the transfer portal. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, like like, like Bielma this year when he re-recruited some seniors, you know, who were going to be gone. And uh, Buddy Young came back and, of course, was outstanding and was a member of that uh, 46th championship team. Right. So that, that, was, that was probably one that sticks out uh, uh, above all others. Going down memory lane this morning in the uh, Illinois-Purdue series. Let's take a call. Mike in Champaign's been hanging on. Mike, go ahead. You're on the air. Good afternoon. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, you were asking for Purdue memories. I think the one that 
is most memorable to me because I was really my first two years of undergrad. I don't remember which year, but the Dan Beaver five, five field goal game. Oh yeah, where Agassi, Agassi hated that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we won fifteen to three, so he was our sole offense. But what I remember so notable about that was, at least in my lifetime, we'd never had a field goal kicker, and this was That's something right. really new. And of course, he had a great year or great it, seat, or it, career. That was nineteen seventy three. That game. And, uh, okay. I, what, I I hadn't quite I was still at Michigan State as an undergrad at that point, but I do remember uh, you know the details of that game. As as you said, he kicked a Big Ten record five field goals in that yeah, game. And uh, by the One way, that score was fifteen was, to thirteen, not yeah. fifteen to three. It was a it was a di- he was the difference 15, in the ball game. Fifteen thirteen, and one of the field goals tied the distance record 52 yarder and in those days that was unheard of 50 50 yard field goals anything else mike and champagne no i just i uh, remember that clearly okay we appreciate danny the call beaver, danny beaver yeah danny beaver is now a missionary over in the philippines is that, is that right, right? Yeah. my my first memory i came to champagne in 1981 and uh, one of my first memories of this series came in 1982. Mike Pearson, Tony Eason, had, uh, he had a couple of big games against uh, Purdue, and the 1982 game was one. Yeah, the 82 game uh, is, is one that Tony Eason had a, had a heck of a game. I, I'm just uh, looking up the details quickly on that one. Uh, that was uh, October 9th of 1982 so i'm pulling up my my book just to see what some of the stats were tony eason in my notes says through for 358 yards and four touchdowns as uh, illinois beats purdue 38 34 moving to four and oh in the big 10 uh mike martin had a big game nine uh receptions for 132 yards mitchell brookens had 116 yards receiving so uh, tony eason had a pretty good had a pretty good day. And you remember when uh, Jeff George returned to play here, that was in 89, to play against Purdue. Oh, that's well, right. 80, yeah. The 80, 89 was was uh, my first year back as the, as the uh, sports information director. So I remember that game of, because Jeff George, of course, had played at Purdue two years prior, sat out. Didn't he sit out the 86? Eighty-seven season, 87 right? season was uh, was uh, yeah Mike White's last season. Right, he set and, out and that so, season. Yep, and then came back uh, in eighty-eight, and then eighty-nine. Uh, we went uh, back to Purdue. It wasn't it wasn't anything special. Uh, he he had a pretty good game. Nothing you know record breaking. I think it was fourteen to two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to tell you uh, since we're on this uh, this particular trip here. I'm going to tell you a really, really important game with Purdue. Pete Elliott had not won a game, 15 consecutive games that they had not won. Uh, they right. were 0-9 in, in 61, and in 62 they lost their first five games. And in all, it was a, a losing streak of 15, and Illinois beat Purdue 14-10. to I think Bob Greasy was the quarterback for Purdue. It was a big upset. And uh, Illinois had a defense called Greasy Go, and Bo, ba- Bo Batchelor made a big play off that defense. And Illinois won, and, and that started the turnaround because the next year, from that point in, mid- in mid-season in 1962, breaking that losing streak against Purdue, they went on and won the, uh, the Big Ten championship the, the next year and beat Washington in the, in the Rose Bowl. 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it wasn't Ken Zimmerman uh, kind of the star of that uh, game. I think he scored a touchdown hmm. or two in that game. But as you say, in '63, they they kind of got it all together, uh, uh, winning the Big Ten and and of course uh, the '64 Rose Bowl as well. It's really interesting to me that uh, this series, this will be the 97th game, that it's it's all even in just about every way it can be even. Both uh, overall, 45 wins each. Uh, uh, in West Lafayette, uh, they're tied with the same number of wins. In Champaign, they're tied with the same number of wins. And you pay more attention to stuff like that than I do, but uh, I don't think you're going to find too many series that old being that close. And the visiting team has been successful much of the time. Right. It's really, really incredible. that, Of course, you know, it's, it's the short trip. They almost feel like they're playing at home. Uh, uh, neither program is particularly, you know, uh, uh, outstanding. So, so upsets were, were uh, pretty common in those days. Uh, so, so it's been a, it's been a, one of the more interesting series and, uh, what you know the 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 cannon trophy is, is kind of an interesting story behind that too uh so so the uh this was in 19 i'm going to say uh 1905 something like that uh, purdue comes over to uh champagne for a game and uh, a group of purdue students brings this uh cannon they're going to uh fire it off after a big victory well, uh, they hit it in a culvert at Old Illinois Field, which, of course, is the, the Craner, uh, not the Craner Center, but, uh, yeah, the Craner Center, right? Is that what is at the corner of Wright and University, where Old Close. Illinois Field was? Yes. Anyway, they, they, yes, they, hit, the, they hit the cannon. They hit the cannon there, and uh, and the, uh, the Delta Epsilon Fraternity House at Illinois found the cannon, uh, stole it. They, uh, the Purdue kids went back. Uh, they couldn't find the cannon anyplace. Uh, Purdue ended up <laughs> winning. Uh, so so uh, uh, this guy named Quincy Hall of Milford, Illinois, who was a 1907 graduate, he had a hand in the original confiscation, and uh, he kept it for all those years. And in 1943, uh, just before that game that we just that we uh, talked about at, at length, uh, came back and said, you know, this might be a great trophy uh, to to play for for this game, and so that that is how the uh, Purdue Cannon uh, Trophy was established. So they they found it after all those years and uh, put it back in play, and of course uh, the winner gets that. Uh... That trophy, which uh, Purdue has the lead in in uh, Cannon Trophy games by seven or eight or nine, and uh, uh, we'll let you go with this. Couple of overtime games in the two uh, thousands, one in twenty o two and one in twenty sixteen that I, I remember uh, quite uh, clearly. Yeah, uh, the o two game was one that probably uh, Illinois should have uh, should have won. Antonio Harris had a had a career uh, best day that day, 195 yards. Uh, uh, in, uh, in the other one, uh, what year was that? Uh, 2016. 2016. 16. That yeah. that was one that that Chase Crouch. Uh, he, the winning field goal was set up 
when Chase Crouch uh, fumbled the ball and, uh, uh, you know, Illinois had played pretty well. Crouch had played pretty well. Uh, but Wes Lunt was knocked out of the game midway through the second quarter and, and uh, Crouch came in. And uh, so, but Illinois got uh, beat on a field goal, Purdue field goal in Champaign uh, that day. So it's been a, it's been a terrifically competitive series. Here's a uh, text question for you. Uh, we'll, we'll throw this to Lauren. Uh, texter says, Bump and Pete Elliott would have both attended the U of I if it wasn't for World War II. Do you think that was true? I, I better not answer that. I, I've heard that, but I, yeah. don't, I, I, I didn't hear it from them. <laughs> right. I don't know who said I, that. I, but. Can, I, I can tell you uh, that that would have happened because I've seen, I've seen uh, quotes from both Pete and Bump okay. that, that you know, uh, Bloom, they were in Bloomington, so you know they yeah. were just, yeah. just fifty miles away from home. You know, another guy who would have played for uh, the Illini was a was a guy was a great basketball player who who became known as a baseball player, Robin Roberts of Springfield. Oh come on! Uh, the Springfield Rifle was headed for Illinois again. World War Two took him to Michigan State, where he. Played basketball was a was a star basketball player and and asked the the head coach at Michigan State at the, in those days John Copes uh, if if he could just try out for for baseball and Copes said yeah why not try for, <laughs> yeah give him a shot so so he he uh, he gave it a shot and went on to become a Hall of Fame pitcher won twenty games in a row six or seven seasons in a row for the Phillies. So there, there's yet another uh, example of that uh, V12 program sending someone where he shouldn't have gone. Illinois would have been loaded. <laughs> hey, Mike, it's always good to catch up with you. I want to let you go with, uh, I want to send out, and I'm sure that uh, uh, you'll do the same, send out uh, get well soon uh, messages to our good friend Jim Shepard, who has been hospitalized, had some surgery. I had a chance to visit with him at the hospital the other day. But when we start talking about uh, Illinois football history. I always think of Jim. He, he he would have loved to have joined this conversation. Maybe we could do that sometime. Hey, that's that's. Uh, thank you very much for the visit. Uh, he had lifted his spirits uh, incredibly. So uh, yeah, he'll he'll be out of the hospital soon, and uh, he's on the road to recovery. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You bet. Mike Pearson Thanks, with Mike. us at nine thirty-two. We'll take a break. And be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly. We're in West Lafayette at Indiana where the sun is shining here at Ross-Aid Stadium. Looks like a beautiful day for football. The game is hours away yet, but we've got uh, another 90 minutes or so on this program and coverage throughout the rest of the day here for Illinois football, Illinois and Purdue. The Boilermakers about it, it opened up at about an 11-point favorite in this ball game today, and that I think surprised you a little bit, Lauren, by yeah. the uh, spread there. But it did. I, I thought this would be a closer game, and um, but um, I think that the fact that th- they've got such a good passing attack, and Illinois has such a weak pass defense, that it just isn't a good fit for Illinois. Maybe, but uh, we went over here two years ago. Maybe we can do it again. We'll talk more about this game and other stuff on this Saturday morning as well. But we want to talk a little basketball. And our friend Brad Sturdy from IlliniGuys.com is on the phone with us. Good morning, Bradley. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. You enjoying football season so far? 
Um, well, I mean, you know, I guess it's been okay. I mean, it's fun <laughs> to see a new new coach in there. I haven't been as successful as you'd like. I mean, they're really close. They could be three and one, and I think we'd be enjoying it a lot more. Well, you're kind of one of those guys too that no matter what what's going on, basketball is always kind of on the front burner for you. And there never <laughs> seems to be it never seems to be an off season for basketball, especially recruiting. But let's start out talking about uh, Illinois basketball and what they've got coming back. And coming up uh, next Friday is uh, Basketball Media Day. Then the following week is Big Ten Basketball Media Day. So even though we're not halfway through the football season, we're getting close to basketball and a lot of excitement around. Yeah, they're they're really um they're really good. Um they have so many weapons, uh so many pieces, obviously led by, you know, their stars, you know, Kofi Coburn and uh Andre Carbello, but you know, then they've got veterans such as Al, you know, Trent Frazier, Demonte Williams, Jacob Grandison and Alfonso Plummer. Um then you throw in uh you know, a transfer like Omar Payne coming off the bench, Coleman Hawkins developing and you know, we haven't even talked about any of the freshmen. It's just a really uh, – and Austin Hutcherson, you know, coming back from injury. So a lot of depth, uh, a lot of pieces, guys who can shoot the ball. They're athletic. Um, it, this is, from a depth standpoint, talent standpoint, up and down, uh, probably the best team that uh, that they've had since Brad Underwood's been there. So, have you had a chance to see them at all working out? Just a, Just a little. Just a little, uh, not much. Um, they're just um, the the thing about it is is the most Im- the most impressive thing to me is there are days when you know Payne and Coburn you, you know sometimes Payne's is just as good or maybe uh, does some things that be even better than Kofi and then you've got days when Plummer is your you know one of your best guards so um, it's it's pretty impressive um, what they have from a depth standpoint now. It's Brad Underwood's job to figure out how to get all those, keep all those guys happy, and and get all those guys in the right position. He did tell us uh, on on this show not that long ago that he does foresee playing uh, Kofi and Payne at times together. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Payne's so athletic; he has the ability to move laterally um, better, so he can guard forwards, especially in certain matchups when when teams have a true power forward. I think he can fit right in now you know offensively the one thing about Payne is he can actually space the floor a little bit and hit the 17 18 foot jump shot and when you can make that it it adds a lot of um burst, it, it allows you to play there with Kofi and then you know rebounding wise offensive rebounding Payne's a very good offensive rebounder um and Kofi is as well so you've got two guys who can really get to the offensive glass well you know uh, they'll match up uh, pretty well with Purdue, which is now talking about at least going through the motions of trying to play their two big men together because they're both are very good, and um, you know Williams can move out on the court uh, for them, and as Payne can, so I I can see that as being. The, but I don't know how long you can go with uh, two big guys on the floor at the same time. Obviously, you've got to substitute, and you got to you, you know, be have for, it'd be kind of a rotation, I think, on how you do that when you think. Yeah, I think so. It's going to depend on matchups. I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing, but you know, it, and it also gives you, you know, when you get a, you know, Kofi can kind of play a little more free, I think, and you don't worry about foul trouble quite as much if you have a guy who's that, you know, athletic and talented behind him, and so it allows you to maybe do some, you know, do some, make some adjustments, you know, matchups, and and then you know you've got a guy there who can who can play right behind him, um, who is also a more of a a, a true center. 
By the way, uh, it's pretty it's pretty much of a stretch to say that this is their best team when the last year's team was seated number two in the country <laughs> for the tournament. But uh, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I, I think you, Illinois won a lot of close games because of DeSumo, a lot of close games. I'm not sure they'll win all those close games again this year uh, because nobody can really do what he accomplished in the final seconds of game after game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the concern that Brad has is is replacing Io, you know, closing, and then also he Io got you a lot of easy baskets um, mm-hmm. with you know runouts and and things mm-hmm. in transition. I think those are the things they have to replace. When I say you know, when I say a better team, I, they're just more talented and, more, and deeper. Um, yeah, they're deeper. Now, does that mean that they're gonna they're they're going to win more games? Not necessarily, although um, I think it's possible. Looking at their schedule, they could have a pretty good season. So, um, what you know, do you think about the Big Ten this year? It looks to me like the Big Ten has fallen off after about the top four or five teams. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the top, the top of the Big Ten is still very good. Michigan and Purdue and Illinois are very good, and then you've got teams like uh, Michigan State, Indiana. I mean, there, there's a Maryland. I think Maryland's going to be is a little bit underrated by some people. Um, so those top five, Michigan State, Indiana, you go down into the seven. I think there will be seven uh, tournament teams possibly sure. uh, for the Big Ten. So it's not as deep maybe as it was when you thought you maybe ten could make it a year ago. So, um, But it's it's still really good at the top. And But I think there's also some bottom teams that you may won't maybe won't have uh, as difficult of games. I think at the bottom it's not quite as strong. So maybe Illinois yeah. gets a win Ru- here. Rutgers there. is taking easier. a hit. And, and certainly uh, Iowa has taken a hit. And, um, I, you know, I think Minnesota is also taking a hit, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those teams, will, those should be wins this year, but you never know. In the Big Ten, you can never tell. It always changes after it gets started. Yeah, no question, especially on the road. You know, we'll have fans in attendance, too. So um, that'll make it a little bit more difficult maybe to win on the road than it was a year ago. Talking to Brad Sturdy, let's turn to uh, recruiting. Um a lot of offers still out there. What uh, what do you see happening here maybe in the next month? Yeah, I think Illinois has got a lot of guys that they're, uh, you know, they focused on um, on the wing. Uh, they've got, you know, three wings all, you know, within, I don't know, getting close to making decisions. Um, you know, Odega, the kid who is Oklahoma, Illinois, maybe a little Penn State. And then, uh, then you've got Cam Whitmore, of course, is the most coveted kid, the five-star kid from out east um, who is, Looks like it'll be Villanova, Illinois. And then you've got Ty Rogers, who's still got a couple of visits. He just visited Illinois last week, kid from Michigan. Uh, he's a really, really good player. And, and I think probably of those three, he's a kid, you know, you kind of feel really good about uh, Illinois' chances, despite the fact he's still got, you know, visit, visits left to like Michigan State and such. So um, yeah, I think that Illinois is in a good position to add some guys. Obviously, they have two guards, Sincere Harris and uh, Jay Nepps. So they'd like to add a wing, and maybe then, uh, you know, then looking and maybe adding a, uh, you know, a big guy down the road. But I don't think they're going to reach for a big. So it could be a situation where they're uh, looking at the transfer portal to add another piece um, to the front court. What do you see of uh, the three freshmen? Do you see them getting much playing time? And if so, which one? I, I think it's going to vary. I think there are situations where they all fit. Um, I think Melendez is probably the you know, maybe that has the most upside of the three freshmen, uh, most talented kid. Luke Goody is tough. He can play, uh, you know, if they need somebody to maybe play a little bit at the four, 
as under small ball four. Um, I think he can fit there. I think um, more than the other guys. I think if they playing against the zone, you need somebody to make shots. Podzemski can just flat out shoot it. Um, so you got that. And then if you have a situation where it's you know you need an athletic wing, you know Melendez is the guy. So I think each of them have different pieces. I, I think that they you could see one game one guy plays a little more than the other game just based on matchups. Here's a question: Maybe you haven't been asked since maybe yesterday or last <laughs> night. If you were <laughs> If you were picking the opening day starting lineup, who mm. would you have in there with Corbello and Kofi and Frazier? Yeah, I think Jacob Grandison is going to start. I mean, I think he, he'll start at the, the four spot. I, I think Coleman Hawks is going to play a lot there, too. Um, and then I think the third position comes down to um, whether you play uh, Austin Hutcherson or DeMonte Williams. I, I think probably, you, you, you know, the way it looks right now, I think – if DeMonte is still comfortable coming off the bench, I think he's great to have coming off the bench. But, you know, I could see them starting him, especially early in the season, too, until Hutcherson gets, you know, going and then, you know, kind of see what how the rotations fit because you can bring a lot of um, firepower off the bench with Plummer and Hutcherson. And I will tell you this, there are people who will tell you that in workouts that there are times when Plummer has been the best player on the floor and may, have, may be the leading scorer uh, because there's really shoot the ball. So, you know, this is a guy who averaged, what, 14 a game in the Pac-12. So um, this isn't a, you know, if he's coming off your bench, that's a pretty good piece. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the last five, six, seven games they played, I'm not sure how many. They, he was close to 18 or 19 points a game. He, he had over 20 in yep. some of those. He was really tough down the stretch. And they lost in overtime to Southern Cal, which was, you know, they, they were in the lead eight, weren't they? At yeah. Least. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, yeah it's a. Yeah, exactly. So you're looking at a kid who can he can really score. Um, he's been really good. Um, so I think that's where, you know, but I think he's probably okay with coming off the bench because he knew that Curbelo and Frazier were there. So I, I don't know if you want to play all three of those small guys together, although there are probably going to be matchups when you're playing some of these teams when it does fit playing all three of those small guys together, depending on who the on the other side. So um, I don't think it's going to happen a lot, but I think uh, th- there's enough minutes there for all those guys to get some uh, backcourt time. Always enjoy talking basketball with you, Bradley. Uh, real quick, how are things going with IlliniGuys.com? Oh, it's great. Um, it's been a really, um, you know, obviously a great start here. We've only been in around for, you know, no, not quite nine months. So um, it's been really good in that regard. And, uh, you know, we're really excited. Of course, we've got your, you know, we're on your airwaves in the, as well with the radio show. So, um, it, it's been a lot of, a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but it, boy, it's, it feels like it's really, uh, growing and, uh, we're excited. Hopefully, uh, you guys can all, uh, get, get some people to join here. All right. We appreciate your time. Good to talk to you. We'll hope to see you soon, Bradley. Thanks. Yeah. We'll see you next week. I think uh, home football game, right? Yep. Sounds good. All right. That's, see you guys. Yep. That's Brad Sturdy from IlliniGuys.com, a longtime contributor to, uh, this program as we've moved along with the uh, Sports Talk brand here on DWS. And we'll take a timeout at 947 and be back with more after this. Stay with us. It is 948, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate and yours truly, Steve Kelly. High atop ross Stadium in West Lafayette, getting set for this afternoon's Illinois Purdue game. Phone line is open between now and 10 if you want to jump in here with anything that might be on your mind, whether it's baseball, golf, football, basketball, whatever. I was uh, sad to learn uh, that a good friend of yours and an acquaintance of mine, I met him once or twice. I think we had him on the show a few years ago. Peter Palmer passed away. 
Peter Palmer uh, turned 90 on September 20 and died the next day. He was, um, he, they knew it was coming. They had a family there. He had a great celebration on his uh, on his birthday. They gave him a standing ovation, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure he got several of those with playing Little Abner. And yeah, how many friends do you have that were on Broadway? Huh? <laughs> Not many. Not many. No, sir. But he was on Broadway more than once. He was on with Lorelei. He was on with uh, Carol Channing in Lorelei. And he had one other uh, short uh, term on, on Broadway, but uh, he was on with Little Abner, and then he, he took the, the uh, part in, in Hollywood, and, and he played Little Abner. He played the lead and had some really good songs in that, in that show. And so when that was over, when he had done the movie, uh, he had the offer to go with Beverly Hillbillies, and they wanted him to, you know, and, and so he, he, he was afraid of being well, typecast. Was he going to be Jed Clampett? Yeah. No, he was going to be Jethro. Buddy Bear. Yeah, he's going to be Jethro. Yeah. And uh, Buddy Bear uh, got that job. Buddy Bear is the son of a former mm-hmm. heavyweight boxer. Right. But uh, Pete had the chance for that job, and he saw himself as, as a different kind of uh, performer. He mm-hmm. didn't see himself as a hillbilly. He just didn't. Mm-hmm. And even though even though the little Abner thing worked great, he turned down uh, Beverly Hillbillies, and that, of course, he turned down millions of dollars when he did that because he never got another part that was quite that, uh, you know, that productive in terms of uh, earnings. But uh, he did a lot of other things. He, he played a, sh- a sheriff. In a, I'm sorry, he played a, an officer in, in, a, in a Western, and he just he had a lot of uh, short parts, and he had a, a, a long tour with uh, Carol Channing, and then, of course, he and his uh, wife uh, uh, sang at a number of different events, and they were down at the Little Theater in Sullivan a number of times. And and um, he he had a you know he had a great life in in the, in the acting business, and had a great voice. And people that want to see him sing at his best can look up. All you have to do is hit YouTube.com, YouTube.com, and then Ed Sullivan's show with Peter Palmer. Okay. And it, and it shows him singing and when he was young and when he was really good. And uh, so he was a longtime friend, and, and, uh, and I hate to see him go, but, but he knew it was coming. He had uh, multiple kidney problems and prostate problems, and, and he just, toward the end, it was just, it was evident what was going to happen, and the family was there to see it happen. And he sang the National Anthem at Memorial Stadium several times. 1953, he was a starting tackle on the team that had J.C. Caroline mm-hmm. lead the nation over 1,200 yards in rushing. And uh, Pete was a starter on that team. He was also on the 51 team, but he didn't go to the Rose Bowl. And uh, in, in 52, he played, and then in 53, he was a regular. And uh, and as, I, as you mentioned, he sang the national anthem at all the home games mm-hmm. that year, 53. Okay. But he, he came to Illinois chiefly because he wanted to be uh, taught by a man by the name of Bruce Foote, who was the... Uh, uh, instructor in in the music school and and uh, that was his, his main interest was singing as opposed to playing football. But he did he was a he was a good football big strong guy and he played tackle for the Illinois football team. It is nine fifty three. A lot of Pella Saturday sports talk. As I mentioned, we've got an open line. Let's go to Steve in Princeton. Hey Steve, what's on your mind this morning? Thanks for holding. Well, you mentioned uh, Jim Shepard a little bit ago, and four weeks ago today, I was at the Illinois Basketball Hall of Fame banquet at Redbird Arena at Illinois State, and Jim Shepard emceed that banquet, but he sat in a chair the whole time behind the 
the head table. And but anyway, he announced one name, and of course, to Jim Wright was Mary Henson, and she was honored later in the program. But he introduced a basketball player, and two things stuck out and caught my attention. One, the last name Foster, and the second name was the town, Fairfield, Illinois. And Lauren May. Jed Foster, yeah. And so anyway, so after he came off the platform, I went to Brian and I said, are you related to Jed Foster? And he said, he's my father. (laughs) And I, I missed it. Maybe you guys knew about it. And I said, well, how's your dad doing? And he uh-huh. said he passed away in January of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. He was happened. down in Florida and he, he passed away of COVID. But if you read his obituary and now that I'm, you know, older, I remember in high school, but boy, he sent John Wooden sent Denny Crum, his number one assistant to Fairfield to watch him play. And he said, no, I'm going to go to Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. He was recruited by Harv Schmidt. Yep. But I hadn't realized that he had passed away back in January. But mm-hmm. but you read that obituary on him on the Fairfield radio station, and, boy, he was a heck of a high school basketball player. Yeah, they, I think they had a long winning streak when he was at Fairfield. They, they were a good team. They were 22-0, and 0, and they lost in the sectional regional championship, I think, to Benton and Doug Collins in the championship game. They beat them earlier in the season but lost to him in the championship game. Yeah. Doug, Doug Collins, uh, of course, Harv. I went down with Harv when he, he went to recruit Dick uh, Campbell and I think uh, uh, Bob Brown. We were all in the car together. Coming back after we saw the, the game and, and uh, went around the car, you know, okay, Sky, should, he, should we recruit him or not? And uh, three of us said no and Harv said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, he just wasn't near the player at that point that, uh, you know, that uh, he was going to be later. And uh, so Harv, uh, we got home and Harv went back the very next day to Benton and tried to get, an, uh, you know, to try to talk him into coming. And and uh, Doug Collins said no, that he wanted to go to Illinois State because he wasn't sure he could play at Illinois. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. He he was a pretty good player, I think, Steve. I yep. think he turned out but all that right. Jet, he did. But that Jed Foster story really touched me because I hadn't heard that he'd passed away. But I sure followed him in high school. And, of course, mm-hmm. Jim Shepard, I followed him for a long time. So I wish him the best. Okay, Steve, thanks. Thank we you. appreciate the call. Thank you. Heading towards uh, the top of the hour. The Ryder Cup is underway up at the Whistling Straits. And... Uh, in the matches that are on the uh, golf course now, the morning uh, matches, the Europeans trailing 6-2 to two overall after the first day. They're up in one match. Go go figure who that is. That's uh, John Rahm and Sergio Garcia. Okay. They, uh, they're a tough uh, tandem, no doubt. They're playing uh, uh, Kepka and Berger. Um, is this alternate shot? This is Saturday morning foursomes. Okay. What's that mean? That means uh, you take the best ball there. Best ball. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um the U.S. is up four up on uh, Casey and Hatton. Really? Johnson and Morikawa are four up. Two other matches are tied. They're on the uh, back nine at uh, Whistling Straits in Wisconsin with uh, Captain Steve Stricker there. Some high school football scores real quick from last night. Peoria beat uh, Centennial 30-20. to 20. 
Unity rolled over Bloomington Central Catholic 41 to 13. St. Joe Ogden put up 60 on Olympia 60 to 36. Paxton Buckley Loda beat Rantoul 30 to 6. Arthur Lovington Atwood Hammond beat Sarah Gordo Bement 46-19. Normal Community 48, Champaign Central nothing. Cumberland 47, Villa Grove Heritage 8. Eureka beat at Gibson City Melvin Sibley 29 to 7. Westville over Hoopston area uh, 55-26. Muhammad Seymour 48, Charleston 10. Prairie Central 12, Chillicothe IVC 7. Danville beat Peoria Emanuel 16 to nothing. Tuscola 20 over Central A&M 20 to 14. Arcola beat uh, Sagamon Valley 59 to 20. Salt Fork 54 and Georgetown Ridge Farm nothing. And the one Lauren has been waiting for, he already knew, Monticello 42 to 12 over Pontiac. So your sages are tough. Yeah, Unity and Monticello seem to be moving toward a possible final game of undefeated teams. If they both keep rolling, Yep, that'll be a big game. We are approaching the top of the hour, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, hour number one of the Lanai Pella Saturday Sports Talk is pretty much in the books. Coming up in hour number two, Tom Deanhart from Purdue Rivals site. We'll talk more about this ball game today. And then at 10.30, we'll talk some uh, baseball with Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis. The phone lines will stay open if you'd like to join us and the uh, aforementioned guests coming up in hour number two here on DWS. Back with that after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back, everybody, to hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. One correction there late in hour number one. The Ryder Cup format this morning is alternate shot and then uh, best ball this afternoon. Same format as yesterday for day two of the Ryder Cup with um, the U.S. leading 6-2. to two, And uh, one match is being led at the moment by the Europeans, two others being led by the Americans, and the fourth match ongoing is tied. I've played a couple of matches, uh, alternate shot, but I never had the same guy willing to play with me. <laughs> well, I put him in such a position that, that he never wanted to play with that's me. That's a hard format because if you hit a bad shot, you, you're the one that's got to hit the next one, and you just deal with that. But when you hit a bad one and somebody else has to play it, it's it's uh, it's not a lot of fun, but it can be if you're playing well. Hey, Tom Deanhart, uh, joins us. And Tom, a little bit of a news story here for you this morning. We, we've been here so long this morning. We got here early. We've talked them into kicking the game off early, so you better get over here to ross Aid Stadium. <laughs> hey, I wish I was standing side by side with you too. I uh, always appreciate our visits. And yeah, this is a good day for golf today in West Lafayette, isn't it? It sure is. The big question everybody wants to know is the status of David Bell, the outstanding wide receiver. What can you tell us? Yeah, I think we'll hear something here. Uh, I'm sure uh, at some point uh, pregame, um, you know, we talked to Coach Brom on Thursday one last time. And, you know, at that point he just said he's still in concussion protocol, game time decisions. So, uh, you know what, guys, I'll tell you what. 
my sense leaving that that practice Thursday was that that, that we're, I, I'm not expecting to see David Bell. That, that's just my hunch. That's my guess. Like I said, uh, I don't have any official word yet. The university hasn't said anything, the athletic department. So stay tuned. But, again, I would be a little surprised if we see, uh, again, David Bell uh, this afternoon. I could be wrong. Uh, that sure would be a heck of a blow to that Purdue offense. Well, if they don't have him, Tom, maybe they won't pass the ball as much. <laughs> you think that you think that might talk, uh, influence Brom to run the ball instead of passing it? I don't think so, Lawrence. Could be, uh, maybe like when it was that 1985 Jack Trudeau Jim Everett matchup, where those guys were throwing their missiles across Ross Age Stadium's turf that day. But you know, Jeff Brom, he's going to want to throw it around. Elon's going to want to run it. Um, you know what? And Purdue's also going to be missing a wide receiver named Mershon Rice, who hurt his foot last week at Notre Dame. He was sort of coming on. He's going to be out for about six weeks. Purdue's taking some hits here. Looks like at the receiving core, they still have some good weapons, though, guys. I mean, keep your eye on number eight, T.J. Sheffield in the slot. Of course, Milton Wright, number zero, a big receiver. Uh, he's, he'll be the best receiver on the field for Purdue, but he's had a little issue with drops of late. And, uh, again, they, they, they've got some guys they like in their tight ends, too. Stephen Lauren, they like to throw to Payne Durham, number 87. So um, they're going to try to work the ball down the field horizontally, vertically. Again, you guys know that Jeff Brom offense. He's going to try to take the top off that Illinois defense. Talking to Tom Deanhart, who covers Purdue for Rivals.com over here in West Lafayette. We do have the phone lines open, and we have a call from Len in Champaign that has a question and or a comment for you, Tom. Go ahead, Lynn. Um, uh, hi there, guys. Um, I'm hearkening back to your earlier uh, comments and uh, regarding Purdue-Illinois football games of the past, and I'm uh, surprised that one did not come up. I remember driving down here from Chicago for the 1980 uh, Purdue game at Illinois, and going into that game, um, the record in the Big Ten for passing yardage in a game was 369 yards. And in that game, Mark Herman of Purdue passed for 371 yards to break the record, only to have his record broken in the fourth quarter by Dave Wilson, who finished mm. the day with 425 yards. Unfortunately for us, Purdue won, I think 45 or something like that, to, to 20. Um, I had come down to the game with a friend from Europe, and she had never seen a football game, and she thought that they were all like that. When you think about it, there were a lot of good quarterbacks come through there. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I was at that game. I remember I was still in high school. We went over and watched the Boilers play that day in Memorial Stadium. And you're right, Steve. You know, I thought often, you guys can speak to this, too, the quarterbacks just in the 1980s in the Big Ten. Uh, I talked about Trudeau and Everett already. Of course, Chuck Long, you know, Jim Harbaugh. And then there were just some terrific signal callers in that conference. Tony Easton, of course, a great one at Illinois. Mike Tomzek at, at Ohio State. You know, you can kind of go on and on here with the litany of quarterbacks in that conference just in the 1980s alone. It was very impressive. 
Well, Tom, tell, uh, tell us what you've learned about this uh, Purdue football team uh, through the first three games uh, in a two-and-one start. You know, I guess they're, they're on par, so to speak, Steve. I think most people thought they'd be two-and-one at this point. Um, the defense has played surprisingly well. You know, it's a totally overhauled defense. It's a whole new set of coaches. They brought in a raft of, of transfers, a handful of which are already impacting. So that defense is, has, I think, uh, probably exceeded expectations to a degree, guys. They like to gamble, take chances, blitz, stunt. They're going to give up their share of big plays because they just hope they make more. Offensively, um, a bit uneven, to be kind. Um, they really struggled last week against a solid Notre Dame defense. Didn't look great against Oregon State in the opener until the fourth quarter. Uh, so, again, they, they really struggled to run the football. You know, their top back, of course, Horvath is out. Um, keep your eye on a couple true freshmen, guys. Deion Burks, who's a wide receiver by trade, and Jaquez Cross, who's a, a running back. Two true freshmen, smaller, smaller guys. They may get a few carries today. Some way, shape, or form, they may take handoffs just to kind of give some, some juice, some zig, some zag. Uh, to, to, to the running running game today. So uh, that's something to, to, to be mindful of. Again, the offense has just kind of been okay this one. Jack Plummer's been good, guys, but I'll be honest with you, the offensive line is still really a work in progress. Yeah. You know, uh, Mike Carmen talked to us about uh, this uh, earlier this week, and he, he's, I asked him about, you know, are, are the Purdue fans as enthused with Brom right now as they were when he, when he started out? Because he seemed to make a big hit initially. And it's, am I correct? It's kind of leveled off in that respect? Without a doubt, Lauren, it's leveled off. You know, he hit the ground uh, run in 2017, 2018, really surprised everybody by going to Bulls his first two years on campus. Of course, the Daryl Hazel era. He walked into that train wreck, and, again, people thought it was going to take him time. But he uh, he delivered, uh, over-delivered, I should say. The last two years have been disappointments. Um, you, you, you can say what you want about the COVID year for everybody, but for Purdue it was a disappointment. You know, they won in Champaign. They went 2-0 and to start the year. They lost their last four. 2019, they went 4-8. and And you know what, guys? You go back to the, the – I call it the Tyler Trent Ohio State game in 2018 in Ross State Stadium. They knocked off the number two team in the country, 49-20. to That was a, that was one of the greatest moments in, 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 in Ross State Stadium history. We had all types of momentum at that point. And you know what? Since that, since that night, that magical night, uh, the program has just never been the same. Um, we're, not, we're unable to really capitalize on the momentum there. So it's been a number of reasons, guys. But, again, football, you can have all the great receivers you want, all the great skill guys you want. If you're not good up front on both sides of the ball, you're going to struggle. And that's really been an issue for, for Purdue of late, especially offensively, getting that line developed and have, trying to have some type of offensive balance. They really struggle, fellas, when they get to third and one, fourth and inches, when they get to the red zone and they got to run the football, when they got to get a tough yard. It's always a real struggle for Purdue. Well, you know, I think the same thing's true at Illinois, defensively in the line and offensively. Uh, we, I see where uh, Pearl is is ranked number two in the nation in in blocking efficiency, and I see where uh, Palshevsky is rated high. Kramer's rated very high among centers, but I don't see it in the collective performance of the line. I mean, I understand that they're all good individuals. But where where is the teamwork to to create the protection for the quarterback? They have, they're not getting 
they're not protecting the quarterback. And you, you saw last week, uh, 10 out of 26 for, uh, you know, yeah. for, for Peters is, is really very, very poor. And I'm not sure why, because the line play, I, I think, just it just hasn't been there. I mean, it sounds yeah, like yeah. you're talking about Illinois when you start talking about Purdue. Maybe it's in yeah, the recruiting, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, it's hard for those programs to get ready-made linemen. They always got to develop guys. And, and Purdue's lost four or five guys last year to, to career-ending injuries, offensive linemen. So that's really chipped away at their depth. The guys who should be juniors and seniors right now are gone because of the career-ending injuries. So that's really hurt their depth a lot. So, yeah, it's always, it's always been a struggle, though, Purdue. I'll tell you what, guys, I, I could count on one hand the number of really good offensive lines they've had 50 years here. Um, yeah, it's always been a, it's always been a struggle. Uh, I tell you what, though, I think the Purdue defensive line this year is, 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 is it's okay, above average. So I think they're 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 decent to solid on their defensive line. But again, the offensive line, like I said, it's been a struggle. That's why they have to always quote unquote manufacture a run game. They may have to throw short passes that act as runs, you know, and they may have to they get creative with wide receivers, maybe taking handoffs on as they come by in motion. They always have to do things like that to try to gimmick up their ground game a lot of times. But, again, there's always going to be those moments in every game, fellas, when you got to play Big Ten football. Like I said earlier, you got to knuckle up. You're going to have to just try to impose your will on somebody to get a yard or two, especially in the red zone. Talking to Tom Deanhart, uh, back to Jeff Brom, uh, year number five. He is 21-26 and 26 after going uh, – Having a good record, what was he, 30-10 and 10 at Western Kentucky, I think, before he took the uh, Purdue job. In year number five, is his seat getting warm? Uh, and a lot of that depends, obviously, on results this year. But um, tie-in recruiting and how the, you, you see that uh, going at this point for them. Recruiting is actually, for this coming class in 2022, has gone pretty good. Um, we had a four-star quarterback from in-state to get the best one of the best defensive linemen in state already committed. So by and large, I think it's been going pretty good. Now, Steve, I don't think he's on a hot seat, even if they go three and nine or four and eight here. Uh, he, he just owed too much money. And right. Purdue does not have the resources to provide big fat checks like an SEC school does to make guys go away, so to speak. So, um, yes, there's a sense of urgency to win. and uh, But no, if, if at the bottom falls out, He's not going to get fired. Now, what, what it will do, though, I'll say this, if they go 4-8, and 5-7, and seven, if they don't make a bowl, now that could set up a very interesting 2022. Now, that's when things could get dicey, I think. So this is a big year. I think they, they've got to find some way just to go 6-6. Six and six. Just get the six wins, go to whatever bowl you can go to, and that will, that'll, I think, appease the fan base at this point to let them know, hey, maybe things are back on track. And I tell you what, guys, you guys think you guys are going to win the game, I'm sure, but every Purdue fan has this game circled as a win, a must win. Uh, so, again, this is a big one for Purdue, I think, if they want to try to get to six wins this year. One thing, uh, Lauren and I can guarantee, it will not be as ugly as the one two years ago in the rain because we, <laughs> oh, we've yeah. got a, we we've got a great day, day here. Yeah. Yeah, that was brutal, wasn't it? My, what a monsoon that day. I've seen a lot of fun Illinois-Purdue games over the years, and – yeah, that was that was a quagmire that day. Well, I was asking Steve, and you you have a better memory than me. Uh, you've got a grass field here with uh, with with great drainage, but I can't remember how how slippery was that to you? I, I remember watching it. I thought it was really slippery and really muddy. But uh, am I right? 
Yeah, it was, you know, it was puddling up. It was coming down so hard that, you know, they have they actually have pumps underneath the, the field. It's called Prescription Athletic Turf, PAT, mm-hmm. and they got the pumps that can suck water out of the field. But it was coming down, Lauren, uh, to a degree where those weren't even being effective. And I do remember water pooling up at certain points, even on the bench. And, uh, yeah, the footing was treacherous that day. The, the, I remember the passing for Peters. He was like two or six passing for 36 yards or something. And Illinois kind of ground out the wind that day. And kinda. it was just, <laughs> the field was almost unplayable, you know. Yeah, it took away your your the main threat of Purdue. <laughs> so we don't have that today. You've got a bright sunshine. And, boy, this field looks great. Looks like it's cut way yeah. down. And I, I, it's amazing how uh, perfect this grass field is. Too bad everybody doesn't have a grass field, isn't it? Yeah, you know what? There was a point in the 80s where this was the only school in the Big Ten that did not have turf. Mm-hmm. And they've never had artificial turf in Ross Age Stadium. And every other field in the Big Ten, again, like this was in the 80s, all had artificial surfaces. Then they all started kind of matriculating back to grass in the 90s. And, of course, now we've seen the turf evolve, become better uh, with technology and whatnot. So, yeah, they've always prided themselves on having a nice natural grass surface here. How many fans do you expect today here, Tom? Uh, maybe 45,000 or so. Um, not a sellout. But who knows, with this with this beautiful day, uh, maybe they'll get a good walk-up crowd. So it ought to be a decent crowd, but again, not, certainly not capacity. Hey, as always, we appreciate your time. Look forward to uh, seeing you when you get over here to Ross Age Stadium. That's Tom Deanhart. Thanks a lot. Hey, take care, fellas. Yep. It is 10-17, make it 10-18. We'll take a break and be back with more. The phone line is still open. We're going to talk some baseball at the bottom of the hour with Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis. Stay with us on Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Welcome back to the show. 10-20, Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We're with you till 11. The ball game kicks at 2.40. And our pregame coverage gets going at 12.30. So a lot ahead here on WDWS champagne urbana friend of mine asked me this week uh or told me this week he was thinking about getting new windows and doors in his home and he said did i have a suggestion i said i've got a guy mike mary at illini pella actually i've got several guys mike mary quentin troy pete peters dave rollins luke mary if you're in danville troy bowman they would like to help you Find the perfect window or door for your home, whether you're looking for new or replacement windows or doors. You can visit their showroom at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. See the products there in person. Pella is rated at number one by Champaign homeowners as the window brand that can improve the value of your home. And the experts there know all about what type of window or door works best in each unique situation. And working with them... At Illini Pella is an easy process all the way through. They'll be there to help you along the way from the shopping and picking out the products to the installation as well. First step, if possible, is to visit the local showroom. You could go to their website as well to get a little head start over the weekend, PellaofChampagne.com. But the best way is to go in. They're open Monday through Friday. You can learn more about the styles, materials, and options available to you for your project. The Illini Pella team has the knowledge and experience to help you find the perfect Pella product for your project. Lord, you had your, you had the over-under on me getting that out, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but to give them a call, 1022, phone line is open, 356-9397. 
If you'd like to join us, baseball talk coming up with Tom Ackerman in a little while. More football talk ahead as well. Looking at uh, some of the other games in the uh, Big Ten, I'll, I'll be glad. I I like the non-conference season, but I'm glad when when every Saturday is a Big Ten matchup, and we're we're getting close to that. Yes, we are. Although I I think that the game that most attractive to me is probably the Notre sure. Dame game in in Soldier Field. I mean, that's a big deal to play up there. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's just. Of course, I, I, I'll always remember the Wrigley Field game as, as the best I ever, maybe the best game ever for Illinois, huh? I hope uh, Wisconsin has better luck at Soldier Field than Illinois did there. Yeah. And uh, we, we did some, uh, Ed Bonds kind of shaking his head, we did some interesting broadcasts from Soldier Field and uh, interesting uh, conditions up there. But that, that'll be a big one. That's the games at 11 o'clock. Yep, it's coming up. Maryland plays Kansas State a little bit later on. They may get a test from uh, Kansas State. Kansas State was getting some votes uh, in the uh, top 25. Penn State plays Villanova. Minnesota is going against Bowling Green. Ohio University is in Evanston to take on Northwestern. Um, Rutgers, here's a Big Ten matchup, is at number 19, Michigan. Do you think Michigan is I think for Mich- real? Yeah, I do. I think Michigan's going to make a good run at it this year. They're off to a good start. I think Iowa is for real, no doubt. They're a top five team. They play it looks Colorado to me like State. Like Iowa's got a better schedule than than Wisconsin, which Wisconsin's already lost to Penn State from the other uh, the other division, and it's just tough when you play as many tough uh, you know as many tough games as Wisconsin has. Iowa's got an advantage, except for one thing: Iowa's got to go to Wisconsin. Right. Let's uh, go to the phones. Brian in Urbana is with us. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, guys, uh, do you know anything about Jack Trudeau? I I heard that he had a stroke or something in the last year. And also, I'd like to know if you'd had uh, Tony Eason on lately uh, to talk to him. It'd be nice to listen to Champagne Touchdown Tony Eason again. Yeah, I haven't talked to Tony in, in, in several years. Uh, your first question, Jack Trudeau did suffer a stroke, maybe even a more than one stroke, but uh, I think he's he's doing better. He's in rehab. He's had a really tough last several years in terms of fin- finances mm-hmm. and health, and it's just he's really had a tough time over there. And uh, I won't go into the details because I don't know the specific details, but I do know he's had a really tough time. And his health is is an issue now. There is a GoFundMe page for Jack Trudeau if you're interested in in seeking that out and maybe making a donation. But um, his... and the other guy that's, that's really having a tough time right now is Dick Nagy. Is that right? Former Atlanta basketball mm-hmm. assistant coach under uh, Lou Henson. Yeah, Dick's been uh, having a real tough time uh, physically, yes. Anything else, Brian? Well, it'd be nice if you could uh, search out Tony Eason and get him on for an interview. We'll, uh, we'll give that a shot. and uh, We appreciate the suggestion. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I bet uh, Mike White can put us in touch with Tony Weissen, uh, Tony Eason. Uh, well, yeah, Lord. Kent, Kent Brown might be able to do yeah. the same thing, too. Yeah. I, I, I think Tony Eason, we've had this conversation before, uh, who's the best quarterback to play in Illinois. And, and for my money, he's he's number one or two, no doubt. He or Trudeau or Jeff George? Yeah, they're, they're all right there. And, and you got to put a good Kurt Kittner there, too, when you look at numbers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I liked Easton. Wilson only played one year. so that... Wilson played one year. And the, the, the team wasn't very good. They were 3-8, and eight, I believe, in 1980. So, 
But Easton, Easton, remember, sat out one whole year in order to let Wilson play. Mike right. White could have played them both, but he, he thought, man, I got a really good quarterback here in Easton. There's no sense in wasting him. And, and, and in his system, he didn't run the quarterback. He tried to protect the quarterback. Wilson played that whole year. I don't remember him being hurt at all. Do you? No. Wilson, and he threw for a lot of yards. Well, we mentioned the Purdue game. Of course, there's the Ohio State game. What was that, 621 yards yep. of passing there and got a standing ovation at the end of the game. Of course, Ohio State won that uh, late in the ball game, but uh, uh, they recognized a, a good performance when they saw one. And Those uh, quarterbacks in the 80s, as we uh, talked with Tom Dehart, uh, Deanhart, were really good both here in West Lafayette. Got to throw Drew Brees in there, too. By the way, I think uh, Drew Brees is an honorary captain for this game today. He's back for this. I heard he was back. Yeah. Yeah. Eason, Eason threw for 3,360 and 3,571 in his two years. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, Illinois had never had a 3,000-yard passer until Wilson came the year before. He was 3,154. And uh, Illinois had a lot of California quarterbacks in, in that period. They had Wilson, Eason, Lamb, and I'm forgetting one. Moore, M-O-H-R, Moore, uh, who were the leading passers for Illinois. And then that's when Jeff George came in in, in uh, 1988. Under uh, That was after Mike had left. He, he, he came here to play for Mike White and he, never did. He was on the sideline for one year yeah. in practice and uh, was eligible the next year, and that was the year that Mike was gone. It is 1028. We'll take a break and talk some baseball. Coming back uh, with Tom Ackerman after this, feel free to join us about that or any other topic that might be on your mind on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We're back in West Lafayette after this. Welcome back to the show, everybody. 1030, lovely day in West Lafayette, Indiana, where Illinois will take on Purdue uh, later this afternoon on the football field. Man, I love this time of year, don't you? You've got College football, oh, you've got baseball going strong, you got the Ryder Cup going. There's just all kinds of stuff to talk about, and we bring in our friend Tom Ackerman. Last time we talked to Tom, we were wondering what was the matter with the Cardinals and and how how soon will the season be over. And since just that get time, back within three games of the yeah, second wild card, exactly. and we'll have a chance in September. Now right? they're running on 14 straight to going into today's action. Tom, thanks for joining us. As always, how are you? What's going on, guys? Yeah, tied a franchise record, first time since 1935. They go for the record today. I mean, of course, we all knew that, right? They were going to run off 14 straight wins and and put themselves uh, in position and put everyone else in the rearview mirror. Of course. Uh, It it really, uh, you know, I did think, I kept saying, you know, this team will sneak up on people. I think they can get within a few games and make make it interesting towards the end. But nobody thought that they would put this thing together like this and who's to stop them now i mean they're like a freight train i mean and you know they get always an extra jolt out of being at wrigley field i know they love playing there today there'll be a whole bunch of cardinals fans there and it has been a party i mean it's just amazing to watch and even when they fall behind you think well the run is coming i mean they're going to put together an inning here and then they do i mean (laughs) they are just uh they're just a, a machine right now, and it is a lot of fun. Well, that streak will end at some point, probably, but it sure has been fun for Cardinal fans. And and every element of their attack, 
I think their defense has been exceptional all season, most of all season long, but their base running, I think, is underrated. Some of the things they're doing there, as oh, you said. Oh, man, they can run those bases. Yeah, and you, you mentioned uh, the power uh, stats coming out. It's just a fun ball club to watch. Yeah, they're killing the ball right now. Goldschmidt, O'Neill, and Arenado, each with 30-plus home runs. First time that's been done since the MV3 combo of Pujols, Roland, and Edmonds. And then you mentioned the speed. You know, Tommy Edmonds has been able to get on base in front of them. He had three more hits yesterday in game one. Uh, the, the game that they won uh, two to one, he was, you know, stealing bases. And, and, and then he, the, the one game that they had, uh, actually, that where they had a sacrifice fly. I mean, that, that's kind of the, the Cardinals right now compared to everybody else is Edmonds sack fly. Lorenzo Kane catches it. And two runs score. I mean, how does that happen? Because the Cardinals are playing a different game right now than the Milwaukee Brewers. And so Kane makes the catch. He made a great Sosa catch, comes. by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great catch. He makes the catch. Sosa comes in to score. And then and then Bader, you know, coming around third, no stopping. And he comes in and slides in easily with the second run on a sack fly. I mean, that's the play right there. That's all you need to know. They are a really good base running team. Edmonds been stealing bases. Goldschmidt's a very good base runner, very smart. They have speed on the base pass with Newt Barr, who stole a base and then ended up scoring. You know, it's a team that definitely loves to, and Mike Schilt does, loves to give them the green light uh, and be aggressive on the base pass. They stretch singles into doubles. They are definitely having fun out there, and when your base running is good, there's a ton of energy. The other thing that they've done all year, and they've been a good base running team all year. The other thing they've been good from the get-go is defense. It's a very good defensive team. They make great plays in the outfield. The infield, obviously, with Goldschmidt and Arenado, Gold Glove caliber, even the middle infielders have made strong plays. Uh, And, you know, obviously Yachty behind the plate. So it's a very, very good team. It's very buttoned up defensively. The biggest factor has been to make this all work is they've stabilized the rotation. And once they did that, it makes everything better. The bullpen – the offense can take a little pressure off and not try to hit the five-run homer, you know, and uh, they can have some fun with a lead. And when they have a lead, they are very, very good. Lauren's got a question for you that he's asked me three times this morning, and apparently I haven't given him a, uh, an adequate answer. On, All right, let's, let's see if we can satisfy Lauren. <laughs> on the number two position in the oh, batting order yeah. and uh, 100 RBIs. Has anybody ever in the major leagues driven in 100 runs batting second all season? Uh, you know, you know what? Well, where did Tommy Herbat? Well, he drive in 100. He did. He, he had a one year where he drove in 110, but yeah, he he batted third in 1985. He batted 302 with eight home runs and 110 RBIs. I only know that because I've said it about uh, 10,000 times in my life. And I was also, you know, that was kind of when I was growing up as a Cardinals fan, I knew the the stats and the the lineup by heart. And it was, I actually just did an event with Tommy where we talked about that. Eight home runs, 110 RBIs, and batted 302. But he was third in the order. Uh, That that order went Coleman, McGee, Herr, Clark. So he felt like, you know, I was surrounded by some good players. I had speed in front of me. And I had Jack Clark hitting behind me, but they had some other boppers in that lineup. And then they had Ozzy, of course. But 
you know, they had a, a lineup that, that was about pressing the gas down and uh, getting runners on base and scoring, but he was a very solid number three. Number two in the order, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'd have to go back and look. I know there are some teams and some managers who like that danger in the number two spot. That's what Tony LaRusso always said. And so, you know, LaRusso had Dave Henderson in the two spot when he was the Oakland A's manager. Uh, he had. I think occasionally he liked putting, uh, you know, good power at, at two. Uh, Larry Walker batted two for a while. Um, that, so it, it, I'm sure it's been done. It just doesn't come to mind. But, you know, the Cardinals had this idea of we need to get better on-base people up in this order, but also get these batters more at bats, more plate appearances mm-hmm. if, if they're good. And so Goldschmidt obviously is that candidate. Uh, he actually was on the air with Mike Schilt on a Sunday morning, so I do a show with him every Sunday morning. And I said, this was probably two, three weeks ago, and I said, well, Mike, looks like you got the same lineup out. It's been posted, and it's Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill. You've kind of been running that same lineup there to give you some success. And he said, actually, Tom, I'm making a change today, so I'm going to break <laughs> a little news for you. I said, oh, is that so? And he said, Tyler O'Neill is going to bat third. And I paused, and I said, well, I think that's the first time you've separated Goldie and Nolan. He said it is. And I think that Tyler has earned that spot. And, you know, we want to give him a look there and let Nolan go back to clean up. And as it turned out, it was uh, the right move. I mean, Tyler O'Neill has been on fire, but also it's Nolan Arenado. I mean, he's going to be looming there. So Tyler's going to see some fastballs uh, as they try not to get him on base for Nolan. So Tyler has been taking advantage of that. It has just been a lineup that's clicking right now. And Goldschmidt, of course, uh, is one of the better hitters in the game. And he's been on fire, quite honestly, since before the All-Star break. He's had months now of just wrecking the baseball. And the guy's batting, you know, 296 right now. I mean, he's he's about at 300 with, you know, 30-plus home runs, and he's going to drive in a ton. Uh, he's almost, as you mentioned, at 100 RBIs. He has 97. So it's it uh, it's a fun lineup right now, and when you have everything going, I mean, you know, the fans are just beside themselves. I mean, it is just going to be an awesome atmosphere this last week at Bush Stadium. We've got a listener, Ken Reevesteck, who uh, did some research for us. He uh, called in or texted us that the record for RBIs from the number two spot is 114, held by Alex Rodriguez in 1998, and Eddie Matthews okay. in 1959. Eddie Matthews was Eddie Matthews batted second? That's what uh, I'm told. Oh, okay. go back to Eddie Matthews. Well, I, A-Rod makes sense, um, and I didn't know you had to go back to Eddie Matthews before that. So, oh, Well, you're talking about records, though. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big number. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is a pretty special lineup, and O'Neill has really made that, you know, lineup uh so strong dylan carlson's a good player too uh at five but you know tyler o'neill has had a tremendous season he really has he's the player that the cardinals always thought he could be and kind of uh, planned for him to be and he has flourished well let me let me tell you that when when we were about the, nearing the first of september and I analyzed this team and started thinking about next year because we probably might not get in the playoffs. I think at one time we were like 2% chance. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought, how do you improve this team? I mean, how do you, I mean, 
I thought the lineup was probably going to be pretty much set. The outfield was set. The infield was pretty much set. The catcher is going to be back. Um, now I don't want to improve. <laughs> now I'm satisfied <laughs> with the lineup. I mean, it's really changed in the last month, hasn't it? It has. I mean, I, I there are two things I would point to. One, I would make sure that my pitching is stacked and and deep. I think they've probably learned their lesson there. You know, they the reason they're so good right now is they have five pitchers who can give you five, six innings, and that's huge, and they did not have that in June. In fact, it was so bad in June that they had, at one point, two starters on their roster. I mean, they had so many injuries. They had two starters on their roster, Wainwright and KK. Everybody else, they were just sort of plugging in and hoping. And, you know, now uh, it's it's a much better situation but I would stack the pitching and make sure I have depth both in the minor leagues ready to go, but also have some competition in spring training for for a good, really solid five-man rotation, but have some backup. Uh, that is not a problem to have too much pitching. The second thing I would do, actually the first thing I would do, and then make sure I stack my pitching, but the first thing I'm doing is I'm exploring the shortstop free agent market. It's just too good to pass up this year. You can't uh, – I don't know that we'll ever see this again with all of these great shortstops all available. So I think the Cardinals should and probably will take a look at that and see what's best. Paul DeYoung, they've given every opportunity to be good this year. I, I'm glad he had a home run yesterday. Um, I'm hoping that he can get hot here and, and you know have, compete for his job um, because he is a good player. But he's just had a, a, a tough year. He's been a streaky player in the past. This year's been tough. Sosa, thankfully, did not have a fracture on his wrist yesterday. He's been a, a breath of fresh air for this team, great energy. But, you know, that said, as good as those two guys are, I'm looking at the free agent market, and I'm seeing some big names out there, you know, Correa and Story and Seager, although I think Seager is going to get such a massive contract. I'm not sure the Cardinals are going to Can the Cardinals afford those uh, guys? I don't know. I don't know if they can, but they are. They do have $60 million plus coming off the books in Carpenter, Martinez, Miller, and Fowler. Uh, so, you know, they will have some money to spend if they want to. And, um, you know, uh, they've, they've thrown big money out there before. I mean, you know, remember, they, they were ready to, to jump on John Carlos Stanton. Kind of glad they didn't now. Uh, they were ready to throw a huge contract at David Price once upon a time. Uh, they were they had no problem picking up Nolan Arenado, although they got paid fifty million dollars to do it. Uh, they 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 have money, um, but I just don't know you know if they want to play in that in that area or not. There will be a lot of teams throwing huge long contracts um, at those players. Tom Ackerman is with us. Phone line is open. Let's go to Marty in Pinehurst. Go ahead, Marty. Morning, gentlemen. Morning, Tom. How many of us hey. had bets back in June on the Cardinals being in the playoffs? That's what I want to know. I don't know, but I just as recently saw that um, it probably has changed drastically now, but I think as of last week or earlier this week even, you can put $100 on the Cardinals, and it was like uh, I think a $6,000 return if they won the World Series. Um, making the playoffs, not sure right now. Um, you know, I'd like to go back and think that you dropped a buck on that. You'd, you'd be in pretty good shape. But, yeah, it, yeah. it's pretty amazing yeah. where that's gone. Are we going to get any help from the New York Mets this weekend? Well, we didn't yesterday. 
Uh, yeah, we need uh, we need help uh, from them because the Brewers got us and the L.A. Dodgers who are in a race. I mean, it could get more interesting in the division if we get the Mets to give us some help. Well, maybe so. You know, the Cardinals knocked out the Mets. Uh, they essentially knocked out the Padres. Uh, and then they sent a shot to the Brewers that they're not done with them either. So, you know, getting some help would be nice, but the Cardinals keep winning. They're going to be in some really nice shape. You know, the Pod, the, the, Met, the Brewers winning yesterday over the Mets makes that magic number two. So it, it's just not yeah, looking yeah. like that's, that's Tom, a possibility. But it was fun anyway to look at. Yes, Tom, question. Uh, while I agree with you, there's a lot of shortstops in the marketplace. Um, Edmondo Sosa uh, is a fine defender. He's a really good base runner. He's shown himself to be a fairly good clutch hitter, decent average. Spending money on a shortstop is one thing, but if I was spending money, I would just do what you said initially. I'd go for starting pitching and stack them up about eight deep to handle any injuries, any flarity injuries, any of those type of things before I'd I'd go at a shortstop because Sosa's opened a lot of eyes. Now, that's just me. I understand there's a lot of great guys in the market, and you have that money coming off the books, but you're also going to now be paying money to Arenado, uh, which you weren't before because Colorado was basically paying for him. And I'm not sure I want to go shortstop rather than pitching, but get your get your two cents on that and get Lauren's two cents on that because I still think pitching, defense, and is this the best outfield potentially St. Louis has ever had, by the way? Well, I don't know if I'll I don't know if I'll go there yet on the best outfield ever, but pitching definitely is how you win. And so, like I said, I'm making sure that I'm stacking pitching, and have that as deep and as talented as you possibly can going into 22. But I, I'm telling you, you have to look at the shortstop market at least. I mean, you've got to at least explore it. Well, if you can and, get a deal, sure. Yeah, I mean, you have to at least explore it and see what the market is and see where you stack up. And if you're a destination, I mean, Trevor Story did play with Nolan Arenado. I mean, they're they're pretty tight. Uh, that would that'd be kind of a fun left side of the infield. You at least have to look at it. But I'm not saying that you have to jump and, and write a big check, but you at least have to look at it. Knowing that, you have Edmundo Sosa, you have DeYoung right now, you have Delvin Perez in the in – the, uh, Yep. In the minor league system, you have Tommy Edmond who can play short. And to that, to that point, you know, let's say the Cardinals do find a nice deal with a free agent shortstop and the ability to, to add pitching. Um, why wouldn't Sosa be a great addition as a utility man who can play short, second, third? Uh, he, you know, he's a very, very nice player. Edmond obviously used to have that role. Now he's pretty firm as your second baseman. So, you know, the great teams – the really great teams have options. They have depth. Look at the Dodgers. Okay, and I understand the Dodgers' payroll is enormous, but they do have the ability to rotate players in when they have to. They don't always have the same lineup every day. The Rays also use the strategy of matchups, and they like to put certain players in at certain times. So it's nice to have options if you're the Cardinals there. I, I do think that pitching will win. I know that they've – they figured out that you know, this one they they got they got through it, and the reason that they got through this is they stabilized the pitching. 
keeping in mind that Dakota Hudson looked really good yesterday, by the way, uh, will return next year to the rotation. Jack Flaherty will be in the rotation. Wainwright's going to be in the rotation. Matthew Liberatore is going to compete for the rotation. Who knows what the next step is for Alex Reyes. Uh, there, And, of course, there's more than that. They might bring back John Lester, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there are going to be uh, some really good pitchers to choose from, but you have to – and Miles Michaelis – but you have to understand, uh, and they do, what happened this year um, and not let that happen again. Hey, Marty, thanks for the call. We appreciate it, Marty. Uh, need to move along. Lauren, you had uh, a little something else before uh, we let Tom go? No, I was I was just going to ask about Lester and Hap, whether, whether we, when you thought they would bring them back because you got so many possibilities, so much more youth there. But, boy, I like the way Lester's been pitching. He'd be pitching today, by the way. Yeah, he's pitching today, and he's been a great competitor throughout his career, and we're seeing it again. A healthy John Lester is the kind of pitcher that you want out there. I mean, he throws strikes, he gets ground balls, he knows his defense, he clicks very well with Yachty. I mean, it's a it's it's exactly what you wanted. I'm not sure the Cubs fans are enjoying this very much, but it's it's exactly what you wanted to see. He's he's a really good teammate. Uh, we heard about that for a long time. Uh, he was like the Wainwright-type leader to the Cubs, maybe not the same outgoing personality that Waino is, but a mentor and somebody who could could take you under his wing and help you through uh, some questions, and, and that's what Lester is. And they have uh, an experienced staff, and it, it happened fast. I mean, there was a, a while there where Waino was it. I mean, he was the elder statesman, and then everybody else was young. That has changed very quickly by adding Happ and Lester. So I, I'm sure the Cardinals will keep that in mind, um, that it's a nice mix to have, and, and everything goes well when you have good pitching. I mean, it does change everything, as we said. Hey, Tom, always good to catch up with you and talk baseball. We uh, Full disclosure, we tried to have Tom on last week. But they'd only won seven straight games at that point, and and you were you were going and you were going to see a football game uh, with your Indiana Hoosiers. I was at this time last week. I was walking into Memorial Stadium and saw the Hoosiers uh, back uh, first time I had been in there in a couple of years at least, and it was so much fun. I mean, they lost the game, but it was a great atmosphere. They just you know they're not good enough yet to overcome some things that happened to them against Cincinnati. But we'll see what they can do tonight. But, yeah, it was good to be back in a Big Ten stadium. I I can assure you that. And I wish you guys the best today against Purdue. All right, Tom. Thanks again very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis at 1050. We'll take a break and be back with the final few minutes of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. We've got about five minutes left on Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk. If you'd like to uh, join us, we're at West Lafayette, Ross-Age Stadium, where the Illini and the Boilermakers will kick it off at 2.40 Champagne time this afternoon with Purdue at 2-1 and one on the season, an 11-point favorite. Illinois is 1-3 and three on the season so far uh, on a three-game losing streak. They'd like to get out from under if they could. Uh, Tom Deanhart said he might be surprised if David Bell played today. On the other hand, Illinois is getting some guys back, Lauren, that have been That's out. the thing that I, I thought all week long that, that it might change the, the uh, spread of uh, 11 points because Purdue has lost people they, in addition to Bell. I mean, and I don't know whether Bell's going to play or not, but they lost their second-best receiver as well. And 
Illinois has got a number of I'm really anxious to see McCray carry the ball again after what we saw last week uh, before he got hurt. And uh, adding uh, Randolph at tackle is a big addition. And we're getting some receivers back that haven't really high tower, hadn't hardly played this year. And, you know, now we're getting Kramer back at center. He didn't play last week. And I think Pearl's going to start at guard. I think we'll find out, but I think he will. So Illinois has got a, a, at least a, nearly a half a dozen players back. And and they should be a better football team this week with those additional players. Now, whether they can defend the pass, we're all going to be watching that because Purdue's going to pass and Illinois is either going to stop it or they're, or they're going to lose the game. Well, the Purdue quarterback is Jack Plummer. He is 70 for 97. That's 72% completion rate, 745 yards, seven touchdowns. As I mentioned, he has not thrown an interception. Brandon uh, Peters, of course, he he came back and played the full game last week and played uh, just sparingly in the first quarter of the opener. He's 13 for 30 with uh, one interception. That's not that's not 72%. That's 39%. Way. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> So that's really bad, and the other guy is really good percentage-wise, but he, but they're evidently not entirely satisfied with him because they took him out in the second half against Notre Dame with, when they were only one touchdown down. That's a pretty uh, important move in my mind when you take some, your starting quarterback out when you're trailing Notre Dame by one touchdown. Yeah, they put in Aiden O'Connell, who is 20 for 29, two interceptions and a couple of touchdowns on the season. He's a guy that's been around here for a while and has uh, played some for sure. The Purdue running game is uh, last in the Big Ten, only 110 yards. So they don't uh, they don't emphasize. they don't really try that, do they? Well, they just just an, they pass the ball to set up the runs once in a while, but their intention is to throw the ball. And they, and and the guy Brom is really good at it. And uh, as as stated, he. He got off to a tremendous start uh, at Purdue. This is his fifth year, you remember, beating Ohio State so badly in 2018. And I think everybody thought that, you know, here, Purdue was going to be a contender, and that hasn't turned out to be the case. You know, one thing Purdue does do pretty well, and Tom Deanhard mentioned it uh, briefly about their defensive line, uh, they're only giving up 107 yards per game rushing. So they're stopping the run, even though they can't run the ball themselves. Their defensive ends are really good, yeah. both of them, yeah. So some things to look forward to uh, when this game gets underway in a couple of hours. And uh, Brett Bielma is 1-3 and three on the season. He's 5-0 and oh in his career against Purdue at Wisconsin, of course. Is that right? 5-0? Uh -huh. oh. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, obviously the Wisconsin teams had the – defensively, Wisconsin is so good. I've got statistics that I'd have to, I'd have to look them up, but they've – They've been, uh, they've had a number of seasons in which they allowed less than 20 points per game. Allowed less than 20 in the teens. Keep That's, this, keep this in mind. The road team in this series has won seven of the last nine. Yeah, I've been, I've been really disappointed at how Illinois has played against Purdue because I've never felt like Purdue was more physical than Illinois, but they've, they've always snookered them with the passing game. So what kind of game you look for? Well, I, I, I obviously... They're going to throw, and you got to stop them. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say because I know that they're going to come out throwing, and, and Illinois has got to come up with some interceptions. They've got to come up with some plays, and and, and, and they've got to find a way to, to rush the passer and get those defensive ends, Seth Coleman and, and uh, you know, hopefully Carney in uh, for, some, for some sacks. 
Mr. Tate, appreciate your time as always. Thanks to our guests, Mike Pearson, Brad Sturdy, Tom Deanhart, and Tom Ackerman. Thanks to Dave Leak as well for his help back in the studios. Thanks to Ed Bond, who is with us here in Western Lafayette on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Appreciate you listening, and we've got more sports coverage coming out throughout the uh, Saturday right here on DWS. Have a good weekend, everybody.